0: that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. With a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The letter Nun is excluded, but oftentimes it is in acrostic psalms, and so you find there's 21 verses to this psalm, although if there was every letter, there'd be 22. It's also a fascinating psalm because it is the final psalm before the cluster of psalms that are the hallelujah psalms. Because if you look at Psalm 146, that's how it begins, right? Hallelujah, praise the Lord. If you look at Psalm 147, hallelujah, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. If you look at Psalm 148, hallelujah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens. You look at Psalm 149, hallelujah, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song. If you look at Psalm 150, hallelujah, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. Look how it closes, hallelujah, praise the Lord. These final psalms are your hallelujah psalms. And they are sort of introduced, the preface to them is Psalm 145. And Psalm 145 is about the character of God that ought to lead us to sing hallelujah, praise the Lord. It's also interesting, if you look at the final words of Psalm 145, let all flesh bless the holy name forever and ever. And look at Psalm 150, look how it ends. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. It's almost like Psalm 145 introduces us to the rest of the Psalms that brings the book of Psalms to its conclusion. And thus we find Psalm 145 to be a fascinating psalm. We haven't even looked at it yet. We've just looked at the psalms around it, right? So what is Psalm 145 about? Well, let me share with you uh, some things about this psalm. There are essentially three or four things, themes, that David writes about which concern the very character of God. Look at verses, verse 1 is really an introduction. We're going to get there in a moment. But verses 3 through 7 speaks about the greatness of God. Look what David writes in verse 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Well, that's simple enough. This section of this psalm is about how great God is. And he tells us why he's so great. And then if you look at verse 8 down to verse 13, he focuses not only the, not only on the greatness of God, he focuses on the grace of God. So look where he begins. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And then if you look at verse 13, the second part of it, which probably in your Bibles is in parentheses or brackets, because the second part of Psalm One forty-five. the second part of verse 13 is not found in all the Mesoretic texts, but it is found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so because it is in the Dead Sea Scrolls and in some other versions, like the Syriac versions, it's included in some of the newer translations, but the older ones, like King James, wouldn't necessarily have it. But that last phrase we ought to explain to assume, or maybe I should say we ought to uh, credit it as being part of the psalm. He then introduces us not only to the greatness of God and the graciousness of God, but the faithfulness of God. Look what he says, the Lord is faithful in all his works, is kind in all his works. He's faithful in all his words, he's kind in all his works. And then as he concludes the psalm, he then tells us about the righteousness of God. And that's part of the reason why it's in the machzor, because God is righteous. He's a righteous judge, right? Today is the day, we'll talk about this tomorrow, but today is the day when the books are open. And those inscribed for a good year will be written written into the book of life. And those inscribed for a bad year for the, the book of judgment. And so God is a righteous judge. And so in verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways, kind in all his works. So this psalm tells us four things about God that I would assume and I think David felt were important things for us to think about. That he's a great God. He's a gracious God. He's a faithful God. He's a righteous God. So now let's take a look at the psalm a little more carefully. Look at verse one. He says, I will extol you, my God and king and bless your name forever. Every day I will bless you. And praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. But look at verses 1 and 2. That's really our introduction. And what David tells us is, I am about the business of praising God. My translation says, I will extol you and I will bless your name. But the meaning is that we will praise him. We will worship him. That's what it means to praise God. It means to worship him. I understand that one aspect of worship is to say good things about God. That's what praise is. But what David is saying is, I am a worshiper of God. And notice the God whom he worships, he tells us, is his God and his king. I love the personableness of this. He doesn't just say, I am a worshiper of God. No, no, no. I worship my God. He belongs to me. I belong to him. There's a connection. There's a personableness. He's my my God. And thus, I have a relationship with him. And he's not just my God, he's my king. Now think about this. This is the premier king of Israel. This is David. And yet he realizes whatever he is as a king pales in comparison to whom God is as his king. We all have kings. Even the king of Israel has a king. And the king that is his king is the king of all kings. And he's the king of all nations. And thus for him, he is to worship him. Not just obey him, but to worship him. Not just to learn from him, to worship him. Not just to recognize his greatness, but to worship him. To bow before him and to submit himself to him in every way and in every stage of his life. Now look what he says. Look at the kind of worshiper he is. He says, I will first of all bless your name. So he commits himself to being a worshiper of God. To bless his name. But now look at the next phrase. Not only is he saying, I will worship God, but every day I will bless him. Think about that. Every day I will be a worshiper of God. What David is saying is, everything I do is to be an act of worship to the living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not just on Shabbat. Not just one day a week when Israel may have been thinking about what it is to worship God. We worship it on Shabbat, on Saturday. But no, no, no. For David, it's an everyday event. Some of us think, oh, we'll worship God because things are going well. But even when things are going bad, terribly bad, David is saying every day, under every kind of circumstance, in every kind of situation, I will be a worshiper of God. Even when I am disturbed, I bring my disturbance before God because I worship him. Even when I am dis, de, depressed or distracted or discouraged, I bring it to him in my worship of him because I'm a worshiper of God, not just one day a week and not just one year, one day a year, right? We, we see a lot of Jewish people walking to synagogue or driving to synagogue on this night and tomorrow. Where are they the rest of the week? Where are they the rest of the month? Where are they the rest of the year? Such as Jews. Christians do this all the time too, Right? They're there on Christmas. They're there on Easter. But where are they the rest of the year? Where are they the rest of the days? David is saying, I am, number one, a worshiper of God. But I'm a worshiper of God every day, every moment. And then he says, not only am I a worshiper of God, and not only am I an everyday worshiper of God, but I am a forever worshiper of God. Now, David doesn't just mean I will worship God as long as I live. He's saying, I will worship God in this life and the life to come. David had a sense that this was not all the life there is. In fact, this is really pales in comparison to all the life there is. We think this is the whole life. And therefore, everything that goes on in this life seems of monumental importance. And let me just tell you, it is not. Unless it has to do with God or to one another. Because we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we're to love our neighbor. When Messiah was asked, what is the great commandment? He said, to love the Lord with all your heart. And then he said, the second is like it. That is to say, it is like this most important commandment, for it too is a most important commandment, and that is to love one another. And I'll never forget when I was in college, and we were talking with my professor, And he was teaching on this passage, not from this passage, 146, but on this concept found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And the question was asked, how do we know when we've loved God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And he said, Yeshua has told us. Well, he didn't say Yeshua, he said Jesus. But Yeshua has told us, when you love your neighbor as yourself, you're then loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because he said, the second is like it. So it's important in how we deal with our relationship with God and how we deal with our relationship with others, because that's what we're going to be dealing with for all of eternity. So David says, I'm a worshiper. I worship every day and I'm going to worship God forever. And thus he had a sense that this was not all there is to this life. And so somebody had told me, or I'd read this, or heard it, I can't remember, but when, uh, what's his name, the pastor up in Simi, Chan, what's his first name? Francis Francis Chan. When he was, somebody mentioned this to me, that when he was on stage or on a platform and he was trying to illustrate the importance of the life to come in comparison with the life that we are presently experiencing, he had a rope that he had in his hand and the rope, you know, sort of draped down to the floor then it went off the platform behind the curtains and on this rope he had a red tape that was about one inch and so he said to the congregation you see this rope? This rope is your life. You see this red tape? This is the life you have in this world. The rest of the rope is the life you will have in the world to come. So what we do in this life affects all of that life that is yet to be experienced. And the thing that will enable us to be rewarded with gold, silver, and precious stones is how well and how much and how deep we love God. And how we manifest that love by loving one another. This is Yom Kippur. We can focus our attention on ourselves like we have been thus far, to some degree, especially reading that passage and take note of our sinfulness. But let me just tell you, Yom Kippur is not just about ourselves. It's about how we relate to God and how we relate to one another. That is preeminent as individuals created in the image of God. Now, we haven't gotten very far in Psalm 145, and it's already 9 o'clock. No, it isn't 9. It isn't (laughs) 9. It's only eight, but doesn't that feel better? Doesn't that feel better? But uh, I'm hoping to draw this to a close very quickly, but as you can see, there's a lot of things that we could talk about, right? And a lot of things that are exciting and enthralling. I mean, these are enthralling. Let me show you something that's really enthralling. Because when he talks about the greatness of God, I mean, you know, where do you go? But look, David is trying to illustrate what it means for the greatness of God, and there's not much There's not much he can do to get it across except repeat himself repeatedly. So he says, great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. That is to say it's unfathomable, it's ununderstandable. You can only get a glimmer, a glimpse, a little taste of how great God is. But he tries to tell us some. He says, look, one generation shall commend your works. See, this is the key thing. Look at this word works, verse 4. One generation commends your works to another. Look at verse 5. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Look down at verse 10. All your works shall give thanks to you, O God. Ah, that gives us a clue. He's talking about the greatness of God, but where is it seen? In the works of God, in the things that he does. And it's not just the word works. Look what he also goes on to say. Look at verse 4. And shall declare your mighty acts. Look at verse 5. He talks about the splendor of his majesty. Look at verse 6. He speaks of his awesome deeds. And then again, verse 6. Therefore I will declare your greatness. And in declaring his greatness, he says, They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. And shall sing aloud. Of your righteousness. See, everything sort of blends into another. One domino hits another. Thinking about the greatness of God, but I can't forget the righteousness of God, the goodness of God, and all of this is seen in the acts of God. Now, what acts is he talking about? Certainly, talking about the creation of the world. All you need to do is to really appreciate, to look out in the world, and it's just mind boggling what is there. As I said, when we went up to San Francisco for the first time, and we went into the Muir, is that how you pronounce it? John Muir, is that it? The Muir Woods. How many have been to the Muir Woods? When you first walked into those woods, was it like, what just happened? It, it's like, is this for real? Does the, is, am I in a real place? Or has, is somebody doing a number on me? I got to tell you, My wife, Mary Lou, and Joel, they went through it first because we had our dog Fenway, and they wouldn't let any dogs in there. I don't know why. There's like tons of animals in there. What's one more animal? Okay, fine, fine. You know what, my dog, fine. So I waited outside until they went through. They came through, and I said, so how was it? Worth going? Joel says to me, you got to see this, Dad. You got to go. So I said, okay. I gave him the dog, and I go walking in. No joke. I stood there, stunned just absolutely stunned and the tears started rolling down my eyes you know is you know just saying God this is unbelievable I mean I've never seen anything like this trees that were just giant you know this is not there's something weird about this and then I thought what else does God have up his sleeve that we've not yet seen Like a black hole. What is that got to be like, you know? And these other kind of crazy constellations out there. And colors. You know, we can't even see all the colors there are. So what are the colors are there? We only know the shapes we see. Who knows what other kind of shapes God could create? He can do anything, right? He can do anything consistent with his nature. He can keep creating all kinds of new weirdnesses to us. And that's just the creation, right? We haven't even talked about how good a God he is. How often he 's answered our prayers, how much he has provided for us, you know we came out here seven years ago, and I th- you know we had saved our money, we worked scrupulously, Mary Lou particularly she was you know she is the money person in our, in our home, and so she keeps me in check, you know, and so we were able to pay off our home, we were able to have live in a nice place, and God was really great to us, and then the Lord called us here, and we thought. How in the world can we, in our late 50s, survive in California? Is this really possible? You know, we had our future all mapped out. Everything was good and, you know, things paid off. Getting ready for retirement down the road somewhere. Everything is going fine. And then God says, no, 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 no. Don't get too comfortable now. Not that I'm not going to take care of you. I will, but you're going to have to trust me. I can't believe we've made it this long, you know? I mean, how does anyone do this in California? God is a good God. He's a providing God. And he enables us to make it through. And I'm talking about being here. What about these poor people in Puerto Rico? What about these poor people in Haiti and in the Caribbean? What about these poor people in Syria and in North Korea where every day they live by a miracle if they make it? every day. But God is a good God. And thus, when he talks about the greatness of God, yeah, we can look at the creation, we can think of what he's done for us, but he's a good God. And his greatness is seen in his compassion and his grace. Which leads me to the next thing. is the great, And we're not going to be able to go through this all. As you can see, there's a lot to talk about. But the grace of God. Look at verse 6. This is such a cool thing. I wanted to point this out. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Do you know that is the most often restated verse in the Hebrew Scriptures? I didn't know that till I worked on this. But it's the most often quoted statement in the Hebrew Scriptures. And it comes from, you don't have to turn, but you can if you like. It comes all the way from the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. And it comes from when Moses received the law from our Lord and on Mount Sinai and came down. And it says that the Lord descended in the cloud. This is verse, chapter 34 of Exodus. Proclaim the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, get this, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Isn't that a wonderful thing to be, be told? Because when they get down, they're going to see this great sin among Israel when they're worshiping the golden calf. He's a forgiver of sin. He's a forgiver of our iniquities. He's a forgiver of our transgressions. And so David wants to focus on he's a gracious God. David had his sins. He had two of what we would consider the most heinous sins of all sins, right? Committed adultery. And then to cover it up, he commits murder. I mean, those are pretty terrible things. One is lack of faithfulness to his wife, to his wives. Lack of faithfulness to one of his mighty men of valor. You know, Uriah the Hittite, who's by his side, ready to die for him, and yet he kills him. And now David in Psalm 145, well, you could see why he would quote that verse. You know, he knew what it was, to have the forgiveness of sin. None of us deserves it. God could allow us to remain in our sin, and he would be perfectly just to judge us because of it. But no, God did something about our need. Because as Isaiah 53 says, we all like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, all the iniquity of us all. And so we read of the wonderful grace of God. Let me just move on here. If you look at verse 13, he reveals to us about the faithfulness of God. And here's an interesting thing. A little word pops up, the Hebrew word kol, the word all. Twelve times, David repeats the word all. Check this out. He says, the Lord is faithful in all his words, in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling. He raises up all who are bowed down. Verse 16. Is that 16? 15. The eyes of all look to you. Look further. Verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. Kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, let all flesh. Well, you see, God does it all. (laughs) He is all faithful. His words are all trustworthy. His works are all amazing. He upholds all who fall down. Now look about his faithfulness. Number one, those who are less stable than others, those that find themselves in pitiful states, what does he say? He upholds all those who fall. And he raises them up. All those who are bowed down, have a heavy load, heavy weight, sort of bowing you down, can barely pick it up. He says he will raise you up. He will uphold you. He will strengthen you. You have any needs? He says he will give them their food in due season. You know, when he talks about food, just like Yeshua, right? He had the prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Food is another word for whatever the need is, not just hunger, but whatever the need is. He'll provide that food, what our need is. He'll provide it. That's what the Lord's prayer is all about. But look what he says. He says, what desires do we have? He says, he'll he'll satisfy the desire of every living thing. It's amazing. Every living thing. He's not just talking about human beings. He takes care of the animals. He takes care of everything. And he provides for them. Look what also he tells us. He answers prayer. Look at verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him. You have a need? Just ask him. He's near. He's not far away. I know sometimes it appears that way. But we need to get our lives in order, our thinking in order with what the scripture says, not the other way around. The scripture tells us, the inspired word of God tells us, he is near to all who call on us. That doesn't mean everything's going to go well, but it does mean he's not abandoned us. And though we may feel abandoned at times, we need to come to the word and fight the fight of faith. The fight of faith is to believe the word over our own personal experience in these things. that's not to say that we should imagine that we're not sick when we're sick. No, we know we're sick. We go to the Lord to ask him for help and healing. And we go to the doctor too. But we ought never to think that God abandons us. Keep in mind, he made atonement for you. Messiah died for you and for me. He's not about to abandon us if he paid such a price for us. You're exceedingly valuable to him. And therefore, he gave himself for you. If he gave himself for you, he's not going to abandon you to something else. That's why he says all of us are his sheep. Good shepherds don't abandon the sheep. Yeshua told us it's the bad shepherds, the hirelings, that allow the sheep to wander, go astray, and maybe suffer and die or be stolen. But the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He does not abandon the sheep. So we have to be encouraged with what the word tells us and to know that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And though it may feel that way, That's why we're to put on the whole armor of God, the shield of faith by which we quench the fiery darts of the evil one that would have us believe that which is contrary to God's will. And that's why we have to fight this fight of faith with the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. That's what Paul tells us. And that's what David is encouraging us. We're to be worshipers of God because he's a great God. He's a faithful God. He's a gracious God. And not only that, he's a protecting God. Look what he says in verse 20. The Lord preserves all who love him. And for the first time we find out, but the wicked he will destroy. They hadn't been here before. But it's to remind us, we live in a fallen world. We're not going to be in a place of nirvana in this world. We're not going to be in a place of heaven in this world we are mingled in with the wicked and sometimes they work us woe there's a spiritual enemy about about us and sometimes he works woe for us and so there is wickedness that we are to combat to fight to resist and to stand strong against and so David says for me And I hope this is true for all of us. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Not a curse. Not a a judgment. Not a condemnation. My mouth will speak praise of the Lord. And let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. This Yom Kippur, make the praise of God, the worship of God, our preeminent desire, and concern. He's provided us with atonement, confess our sin, and be cleansed and forgiven, and then move forward in being a worshiper of God every day and forever. Let's pray. While I'm praying, if Miriam can come. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word to us. We are grateful for this wonderful psalm. What a powerful psalm it is. And that gives us all reason in the world to understand why it would be placed in the Makhsor on Yom Kippur. For while we are to remember our sin, we're also to rejoice in our God. While we are to confess and repent, we're also meant to praise honor and exalt because for us who know Yeshua this truly is a day of atonement every day can be a day of atonement if we would reach out to him and receive him as our Messiah and our Lord so father we are grateful that this is the day you have made we will rejoice and be glad in it. For on this holy day in the Jewish calendar, it is truly a holy day, even as every day is. But it truly is a holy day when we find you in the midst of the consternation, in the midst of our trials, And in the midst of our successes. It is you who we seek. It is you who we must find. It is you who we must love with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is you we must follow. And it is you we must rejoice in. So we bless your holy name. Who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, he was put to grief. When his soul made an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring he shall prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the, with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Praise God for what Messiah has done. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to him. Do remember us in your prayers.